talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. movie and television series by television series hurtle through the marvel cinematic universe this time we're stepping outside the marvel cinematic universe and into the multiverse for a look at fantastic four or fan four stick i think that's how they wanted us to say it released in august 2015 technically this places it somewhere between hank pym presenting hope van dyne with a brand new wasp suit and karnak and gorgon doing something on the moon with the american flag uh, it was in humans your guess is as good as mine and you guessed it there's absolutely no crossover with either of them well there wouldn't be with humans would there i'm tim worthington and we'll be finding out i made the fantastic four i'm going to say it that way because i'm just not bothering with the funny stylization shortly meanwhile joining me to give his thoughts on fantastic four i'm gonna to have to stop laughing when they say that aren't i is journalist mick wright Mick, where can people find you? Brokenbottleboy.substack.com and Brokenbottleboy on Twitter. Okay, so Mick, what happens in Fantastic Four? <laughs> well, see, I just did it, didn't I? I did the laughing as well. So, look, this is sort of theoretically meant to be a Fantastic Four film, and so you'll be familiar with character names and some of the dynamics, but the sort of nature of this film will be confusing and strange to you if you like the Fantastic Four. So, uh, Reed Richards and Ben Grimm have been friends since they worked on a prototype television teleporter in their youth so we see them the young versions of them and then we jump forward to the future where reed and ben are recruited to join franklin storm's baxter foundation where sue storm and her brother johnny storm are working as scientists and engineers on a quantum gate which to be honest feels like an absolute ripoff of the stargate which is being designed by franklin storm's protege victor von doom who's just like just a goth, basically, like a ultra goth. They do this experiment, it's successful, and their supervisor, Dr. Allen, plans to send a group from NASA to the parallel dimension. They're all really disappointed that they can't go, so at night they get together and go on an unsanctioned voyage through the quantum gate to what is boringly called Planet Zero. When they get there, all the usual sci-fi stuff is there. Victor attempts to touch this green lava stuff, which completely messes him up. The ground starts erupting. They they all escape apart from Victor who is left on the planet. When they've returned they discover, oh, guess what? They've been changed on a genetic level and Reed, Sue, Johnny and Ben have the powers we're familiar with. So Reed is all stretchy man, stretch Armstrong basically. Sue can become invisible and do force fields. Johnny can turn into fire and gets the rock-like body that, you know, again, we're familiar with as the thing. They then go on the run. Sorry, Reed goes on the run and then a year later he's caught having built a suit that allows him to control his ability he's captured he has to go back and then it turns out the sue johnny and ben have all been there at this facility and in exchange for giving them a cure they are sent again to planet zero where they encounter doom victor von doom now calling himself 
Doom, and there is a very short battle in which they defeat Doom. Like, ludicrously short battle. The threat level of Doom and Doom's relationship to the Fantastic Four is very poor. Uh, then they come back, having managed to get back from Planet Zero, they return to Earth, are rewarded for the heroics, given a new base, and they end the film by saying, ah, now we can call ourselves the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and the rest of us weren't really calling the Fantastic Four, because that does lead me into my next question, which is, Mick, what did you know about the Fantastic Four before you saw this? A lot, a lot. I've read a lot of the comics, I'd watched the cartoon series, I knew a lot about the Fantastic Four. Marvel's first family, you've got to, haven't you? Well, yes, and that's why. I had not actually rewatched this since I saw it until you suggested doing it for this, and I'm glad I did in some ways, bizarrely, which we'll come back to, but at the time, I actually felt not quite... I'm not going to go full fan as a personally attacked by it, but I kind of felt I went in hoping to see, because the earlier two Fantastic Four films not counting the Roger Corman one from the early 90s which is a whole different thing of its own but those two didn't work in a lot of ways but at least they were recognisably the Fantastic Four they tried their hardest to do something about these characters where for some reason it's notoriously difficult to get them right on screen they tried and tried whereas here it's a complete rejection of anything anyone would have loved about it and I love the Fantastic Four I mean I will always point to when the early 80s cartoon was on in the UK Marvel UK brought out a Fantastic Four comic which obviously had reprints of the 70s stuff and a lot of backup strips in it and I was so excited those first couple of issues because I loved them and they gave away free a kind of week by week a press out Fantastic Car that you can make yourself with figures of them. I will always go to anything about the Fantastic Four hoping, not demanding but hoping for that kind of excitement and this was the opposite and it's a this is a bugbear of mine. It should not have been called Fantastic Four or Fan Fantastic or whatever it was because when you're dealing with a well-loved franchise or character it do sort of have responsibility to the pre-existing audience it's not about how it relates to your artistic angst you know like Ang Lee did with the Hulk or whatever even the first Marvel Cinematic Universe Hulk you can't put your own spin on an idea that people like because of that idea people coming in with reasonable expectations it's like do you remember the remake of The Prisoner yeah you know what are the three things people know about The Prisoner it's weird it's set in Port Merion and he's chased by a big white balloon and so somebody thinks what a great idea I'll put none of those in so it's all about me and this is what even though I don't think it's as bad not just as people think as I thought I think this is not a Fantastic Four film that's exactly the issue yeah it's not a Fantastic Four film it's a workable passable sort of darkish sci-fi thing if you change the character names and just made it that it would be all right. One of the big problems with a lot of people's ways of coming to the, or thinking about adaptations to the Fantastic Four is that, A, they never get Doom right, or they never want to get Doom right. Doom should be the leader of Latveria. Doom should be this megalomaniac, you know, supervillain character. Like, Doom, for me, is always, should always be on the level of someone like the Red Skull, except Doom is sort of capable of being kind of sort of funnier. Doom shouldn't have a close relationship with the Fantastic Four. That's weird. It doesn't work. Like, it being about sort of a petty rivalry type thing, that's not interesting. And frankly, they sort of make Victor Von Doom into Doom, but he doesn't interact with the family till they get back on the planet again. So it's sort of, like, pointless. 
you just don't see that the jeopardy really isn't there and he's killed off very quickly and i think doom's a brilliant character if you do him right yes i think one thing they completely wrote out of this which i think is integral to his character so it's going to be the first thing when he's in the monster universe that they bring in it's that as you say he has to be the leader of latveria but he has to have that weird kind of quasi romany mystical elemental background you know that sort of never quite explained or where his family magic and persecuted for it because he's not just a mad scientist he's a mad well another kind of scientist a mad ecologicalist really as mm. well as technologically advanced and here he's just another villain but it's a problem with most of the characters as well because i really didn't like what they did with sue storm and i think it's kind of exemplified by when i was watching it again just think about when it was made just think about two images of her from the comics around that time that really stuck in my mind the first was in marvel divas which i appreciate a lot of people might not know about which was a i'm sure you read it but it was a series yeah. kind of like inspired by sex in the city where it's monica rambo hellcat the black cat and firestar were sort of trying to get back into the dating scene and you know hanging out having dinner and so on and patsy walker hellcat's new book comes out and they're at the premiere and they're up stage by her agents invited sue storm and the press all run to take photos of her arriving and waving to them the other thing is in the civil war comic which obviously is a little bit different to civil war as it was in the marvel cinematic universe sue storm does not want to get involved until in an oblique sense the safety of her children is threatened upon which she goes radge and those two you cannot imagine sue in this doing either of those things and that's who she needs to be yeah she's a wet character in this she's a nothing character the thing is right mr fantastic he's always got to be irritating so that's quite good in the casting of miles teller a man who's never not been irritating and anything he's ever been in brilliant casting really because reed richards is the marvel universe's like biggest dickhead like everybody sort of like oh my God, what about very... cyclops no cyclops is not as irritating as, <laughs> as reed he's just not because cyclops doesn't think he's as intelligent as reed richards cyclops is very arrogant but he's not as convinced of his intelligence as reed richards reed richards is like i am the most intelligent man in the universe everything i do is brilliant i'm the best look if i were to write a fantastic four film the way that you deal with the arrogance of Reed Richards you have him very arrogant to start with and you have his arrogance be part of the reason that the initial mission ends up with them becoming the Fantastic Four also the Fantastic Four should always become the Fantastic Four in some kind of space mission sorry that's just how it should happen not with some kind of knockoff you know Aldi Middle Isle Stargate that's not how it goes I mean watching this film I feel like Alan Partridge watching Bond stop getting the Fantastic Four wrong like the whole time that's the way I felt about it and the thing is i did say i do think the aesthetics of this film aren't terrible it as a film in itself is not that bad if you just totally reject that it has anything to do with the fantastic four you like or care about if you can do that sort of thought experiment then it's not as bad but anytime you remind yourself this is meant to be the fantastic four also they're meant to be funny and johnny storm's meant to be funny and johnny storm has this interest the mixture between like self-doubt and bravado and the fact that he's kind of a rock star but you do sort of realize that it's quite a lot of it is front and that sue can see through that because of their sibling relationship the thing is as well there's a lot of good actors in this film and they're all being badly served by the plot 
and the script. Even Miles Teller, who I do dislike as an actor, you know, if you watch him in some other films, like, what am I thinking of? The drumming one. He could be very good. He could be very, he's, he's a very capable actor, but it's interesting. Of course, Josh Trank, the director, did claim that basically the studio made him cut it in ways that he didn't want to do, and that's why the film wasn't how it could have been. And the guy who played Doom backed him up on that, but then a few years later he said, yeah, but I actually wasn't able to film some of the scenes that I would have needed to make it how I wanted it to be. But looking at it, you think, well, how could it have been better? I suppose more development for Doom, character-wise, that's a problem, because there is no character development. Like, he's an annoying emo goth, then he's gone for ages in the slime, and then he's an overpowered bad guy at the end. Like, that's it. He's no character art. Well, I have some scepticism about their claims anyway, because there's a massive red flag in the opening minutes of it, which isn't just the fact that it depicts Reed and Ben meeting as children, whereas, you know, they were college roommates. Ben's brother appears, and for some reason, they've changed his name to Jimmy. He's Daniel Grimm, a huge part of Ben Grimm's backstory, and it's one of the, that's a change for the sake of it. It's like in the 1989 The Punisher, when they changed the gender of his children. You know, just because, and that changed the whole meaning of why Frank Castle has gone insane. Mm. And that's just, you know, we are in charge, tampering really. It's not something I'm, you know, getting on my high horse or getting annoyed about, but that indicates to me that they weren't going in with the intention of making the best Fantastic Four film in the world. Well, I mean, I think ultimately when you look at it, it's about them wanting to retain the rights. That's yeah. what it's about. You know, and the reason they were talking about making a sequel of this was in an attempt to continue to retain the rights, but then of course Fox got bought, so that became, you know, null and void. I suppose this serves as a great historical example of how not to do it, and I suppose we will get eventually, you know, Marvel isn't going to make this mistake, and I think if Marvel had had possession of the property, they wouldn't have made this mistake. I think absolutely not, and it's also worth noting a couple of the cast and crew have said that they got letters from Stan Lee saying, you know, it's a very Stanley approach saying, look, sorry, it didn't work. But, you know, you're not the first who have tried and failed to do the Fantastic Four on screen. And thank you for having a go, which <laughs> is really nice of him to do. But it is interesting watching it again, because I don't understand how it's got an aggregate score of 9% on film review sites. It is not a 9% film. I'd say, you know, I'd personally put it in the 40s or something. It's not great. And one of its biggest problems is how it's structured. Because there's literally, you know, you mentioned the action sequence is very brief. There is one. And it comes an hour and 20 minutes into the film. The rest of it is basically not even just an origin story, but then talking about the origin story. And, you know, there are some problems with the VFX. I mean, I think Doom looks a bit like he fell in the Zegazoid bar mix at the factory. And Ben Grimm looks a bit like a pine cone. It's played by Billy Elliot, of course, which is the other weird thing about him. He's all right in it. Yes, He's yeah, all right in it. It's that dreadful polarisation thing, though. If you have to love something or you have to hate it. And can something not just be all right ish you know it's like the whole reaction to morbius and don't get me wrong morbius is far from a brilliant film but the idea that it had an incomprehensible plot it's got the most simple plot ah but listen tim it is okay but you know you don't have to would there ever have been a summer of fan fantastic no but there was a summer of morbius yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> Therefore, Morbius wins. But people feel they have to not just dislike something, be disinterested, but actively really going either on the praise or that. That's like, at the moment, I'm a bit, I'm not going to go too far into this, but by chance, at a picture house cinema, you know, I can't remember what they call it, but you know where they show a mystery film? You don't know yeah. what it's going to be. This time last year, I saw everything everywhere all at once. And I thought, that was really, really good, but I can see people using that as a cudgel to beat any other film made with. And that's basically what's happening now. And like, can't you just like it? Yeah, although it's funny, like, your argument is good and correct and well-founded, but we are also on a podcast that exists to very intently analyse <laughs> a series of films. I know what you mean, and actually, one of the best things about the podcast you make is that your general approach is, to be also fair, is that your general approach is trying to find the joy in these things. So, I will admit that. I think what you're saying, and I sort of agree with you, in fact, I definitely agree with you, it's kind of like the cinematization of analysing films, where it's all about, oh, I spotted this plot hole. And it's like, it's not actually a plot hole, it's just that there's a thing called suspension of disbelief, which is required. Because if you look at the logic, for instance, of any Marvel film, you can pretty much start to go, well, that wouldn't happen, that wouldn't work. Even in the in-world physics, that wouldn't work. And you sort of go, yeah, okay, but then you can't enjoy anything. Well, you've reminded me again about when there was Leave a Guy in Man 2, and I heard someone talk about how he thought the physics was all wrong. <laughs> I thought, it's literally called Iron Man 2. It's not even the first one. What do you expect from a film with that title? Yeah. Also, I know this has been covered long ago, but I think the general hatred of Iron Man 2, or the feeling that it's much, much worse, is just a crock. I watched it at the cinema, thought it was enormous fun. I still think it's enormous fun. I think Mickey Rourke's a great baddie in it. That's a good example of a film that's quite average in many ways, but manages to be extremely entertaining. And if you compare that to Fantastic Four, the problem with Fantastic Four is it takes itself deeply seriously. There are no gags in this film. Like, there are no gags. I mean, there's things that they thought were gags, but there's no actual gags. Basically, the storyline, which is person gets obsessed with substance that has had an effect on them or, you know, dimension or planet or whatever that's had an effect on them and tries against all sanity and logic to bring it under their control in the real world and threatens to get out of control, blah, 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 blah. It's been done a couple of times in the Marvel Cinematic Universe already, including in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and twice in Agent Carter. Yeah. And it does yeah. not match up to any of those... You know, this is not even on the same plane of existence as Agent Carter so you think they might have thought given they were trying whether they like it or not to ride on the back of the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe they might have thought about that yeah and it, I mean it was very much it's almost a DC approach to a Marvel property obviously this is Fox so they're in like they're somewhere in the middle but they're taking that dark and gritty approach and it doesn't work because
because everything is grey in this film as well. Everything feels like it's got a kind of grey, black and white, desaturated filter on it. And the reason that doesn't work, and often hasn't worked in DC films, is that when you've got characters that are kind of ludicrous, if you expect them to live in a reality that's very, very like our own, you've got someone who, like, can stretch to great lengths, and you make that desperately serious and don't ever make any jokes about that, or don't ever make that... Like, why is that interesting, say, in a more Marvel way of approaching it? You would get, and I bet you do get, in whatever version of Fantastic Four we get, the way Mr. Fantastic has to interact with the existing real world will become a source of, you know, delight slash amusement. And the same thing for Johnny Storm. I think one of the things in the earlier ones that's quite good with the Johnny character, the Chris Evans version of Johnny, is that, you know, he's using it to get into nightclubs and show off and stuff. You do need that from Johnny Storm. And Sue has to be, you know, have a bit of wit and sparkle about her, even as she has to sort of be the kind of authority figure in the group. And Ben's anger has got to be interesting, and he has to be something other than, like, a kind of brown Hulk. I mean, I know, of course, we've also got the red, grey, whatever variants of the Hulk now, but that's by the by. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely there. And mentioning the colour palette as well is interesting, because I felt, in a way, there was little distinction between the sections in you know the normal reality and on the kind of vista they've broken through to it had the same feel there was no contrast at all no it's true it was almost exactly. like they walked outside the building and it was like a weird odd post-industrial landscape it just didn't feel enough of what it was supposed to be what the script is telling you it was yeah it does feel like they could be doing most of this stuff in a like an industrial state outside of like slough and you'd be like oh okay fair enough just <laughs> the energy is all wrong yeah but i i don't understand i come back to because it's funny because when i first talked to you about this i was like well i don't think it's that bad and i still don't think it's that bad because it's considered like one of you know epochly bad films i've and seen, I've seen much many worse, worse films, films. i've seen some many, worse films many, made many by, worse films. well certain directors with a high opinion themselves half at one point in their career made worse films than this yeah but but I don't understand why you would decide that you wanted to make a film about the Fantastic Four when you have no interest in or, you know, feel for the Fantastic Four. Like, I just don't understand that. You just say, why do you want to write a film about the Fantastic Four? I don't know what kind of answer they would have for this. Okay, so what do you like about the Fantastic Four? All right, I've listened to your answer. It doesn't appear to feature anything that is good about the Fantastic Four. So what, you're not going to have them in the costumes till the very end. They're not going to be called the Fantastic Four. They're not going to do anything on Earth. Victor Von Doom is just going to be some sort of weird monster on a planet that you see for five minutes. Great. No, this is terrible. Nothing can this works. You take it back and do it again. No, don't let them do it again, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it is possible that we may one day get a Snyderverse-style different cut of it, which... I don't know if anyone actually needs that. I don't think that will that. ever happen. I don't think that will ever happen. I'll tell you one of the reasons why. Josh Trank is listed on Wikipedia now as a retired director. I didn't know that, but I do know that he's been critical of it himself. Not just the disagreements with Fox he had, but he kind of has sort of said that he feels he dropped the ball as well. And Jeremy mm-hmm. Slater has said very little about it over the years, but it's telling that the next big Marvel thing he did was he wrote Moon Knight, which is absolutely brilliant. But one of Moon like strengths is it digs 
deep into the comics and finds things that would work in the framework of that narrative and really goes yeah. to town with them. And so I think maybe there were some lessons learned. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, to be honest, in a lot of ways, it's easier for a writer to get past a flop than it is for a director, really. People don't focus so hard on you. Or an interesting example of how much you can do a handbrake turn as a creator in any kind of art form is I found out today that the guy who wrote all the music for Suspiria also wrote Superman for Black Lace. So like, (laughs) you know, as a writer of things, it's possible to take quite large diversions away from stuff. But as a director, not so much. One thing we should tackle, though, which has kind of got lost in time, but I remember feeling really aggrieved at this at the time, was the furore over. Michael B. Jordan plays Johnny Storm, and the conceit is that him and Sue were adoptive siblings, which, again, that may be messing with the dynamic a bit too much, but there was a lot of arguments about Johnny Storm should be white. And I kind of, there were a handful of Marvel characters where their ethnicity is important you know people like Ms. Marvel Monica Rambo well Moon Knight you know needs that kind of racial ambiguity but even I would argue I appreciate might be out on a limb here but Iron Fist is the one character who I think 100% needs to be white because I know people say it's cultural appropriation but that was always the whole point he was always an accidental white saviour who was rejected by every culture basically because he wasn't the genuine article and I think yeah, that needs that, to be that's maintained what's, that's what's interesting yeah because if Iron Fist was Asian for instance you'd go oh okay he's a martial artist that would be it it wouldn't be interesting the clashes between like his rich background and the fact that he's you know now Iron Fist anyway no I think the Michael B. Jordan thing Michael B. Jordan's a great actor he's very good in it he's been very good since he elevates very bad material in that film and people who said that Johnny Storm should have been white are just racist well, basically exactly and I can back that up with you know anyone who's listened to this will know how much I've desperately wanted Wonder Man to come into proceedings and you know initially there was talk of Nathan Fillion being cast as him for the second Guardians movie and then they obviously thought hang on him against Thanos not really a fair fight for the big purple guy so they held him back and there were rumours over the years of Brad Pitt and George Clooney but a series has now been announced with Yahya Abdul-Mateen II playing Simon Williams and you know nobody's complaining about that possibly because they don't even know who Wonder Man is but I'm just thinking great he's a great actor and also we're in a different world now those mid-career Hollywood actors like Simon aren't just white guys anymore no exactly yeah we are in a better place this film came out where the cultural conversation was in a different place as well I mean it really should have been the least of people's worries come on I <laughs> think you know but you know ultimately it's an okay science fiction film that should have what they should do is instead of remaking it or doing a different cut just go through and redub in the names of the characters to be completely different names and uh, then it'd be alright maybe to change that four to an eight I'll just go yeah there's Richard Reed and <laughs> <laughs> he's not you know that's it there's five change the names so that they're not actually fantastic four and then at the end they can say and now we might call ourselves the fabulous quartet and he'd be like brilliant this is well this fabulous quartet film is very good this sort of reminds me of something but i don't know what so we're now in the position where we've already had john krasinski as reed richards in dr strange the multiverse and madness bringing some of that arrogance with him which you know is a good sign already a fantastic four film is in development it has been rumored it won't be an origin story i can think of a way i would like to be brought in but what would your take on it be yeah it's not even just been rumored that it's not going to be an origin story he's 
said it in Kevin Feige said it in a quote. He said it's not going to be an origin story, and I mean, if he says it, that's like the writ of God. Well, that's something the MCU has always done really well. It's largely dispensed with origin stories, and that you know they're done in other people's films or series, or they're in flashbacks or Spider-Man. They thought people have seen that too many times, they just ignored it completely, and I think that can only be a good thing. Surely it's going to come through a multiverse thing. Surely that's how they're going to do it. Well, I was wondering as well. It's also possible that they could originate from the 60s after all and be brought forward in time by whatever Kang is doing. I always had to think about, I did wonder when they first started messing around with the multiverse, in the post credit scene, where the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and Wonder Man and so I'm just going to charge through some kind of portal and say, right, where the hell's Galactus? And everyone's like, what? What's Galactus? Yeah, the only thing I think, if you did bring them forward from the 60s, the only trouble is then, haven't you got a slight quartet out of time thing, which feels like we've already done character out of time with Cap and I kind of want Reed to be able to have the arrogance of fully knowing the technology of the present in the Marvel Universe and you know being capable of foreseeing the future that's coming but yes do we how quickly do you think they're going to get around to the Richards children because like Franklin totally changes things in very odd ways if you bring Franklin into it well that's one of my concerns is are they going to cast them as kids or as much older because they're characters where unless it's a story involving the Richards children their age isn't really that there's that whole thing about what's going on in Marvel is always five years after they went into space whenever it is yeah. and they have a kind of sort of ageless quality at points and I can't figure out what the best thing to do would be but I think at the moment they're gonna to have to be very careful with bringing in something as game-changing as Franklin Richards because you know they're already struggling enough with people trying to keep up with the multiverse and I know quite a few people who were quite confused by what was going on with Kang and not just because they hadn't seen Loki because I mean you didn't need to have to have seen Loki anyway but they'd seen that they knew who He Who Remains was but suddenly mm. you got there's lots of him I think you can't put too many game changes on the table at once yeah and that's the thing is like Franklin can change reality they've been quite careful with Scarlet Witch really to not get her to a no more mutants type style situation yet because that's major the things that you can do in the comics that you might never want to do in films. Well, there's also, as we talked about previously, we've got the whole situation coming up where, you know, you have got Wonder Man, Captain Marvel, Adam Warlock, and Nova coming into it as well. The four of them, obviously Kang is a villain they don't have much of a chance against, but most of the villains they do, and if you add you know, Franklin Richards into the equation, it poses some problems with getting convincing storylines. They've always had problems with consistency of power levels, though. You do see it in the Avengers films, even early on, you know, the relative power levels of characters wildly vary but again that comes back to the thing I was saying about you don't have like you could be a complete like nerdling about this stuff and be like well I've looked at the various power levels that they have and there's no way that this character could defeat this character and in the end it's just going to be is this entertaining you know is this entertaining does it sort of stay consistent from scene to scene roughly we know that like Captain Marvel's powers have been like dialed down and dialed up at will in these films already. But the other thing is that clearly they've brought a lot of the Young Avengers in, or they're still denying there will be a Young Avengers project of any kind. It's bringing the power pack <laughs> in a bit too much on top of that. Especially as yeah, they may possibly. yet do more with, particularly with an 18-part Daredevil series coming along, we may see some of the Runaways and Cloak and Dagger again, who obviously, you know, now the cast are slightly older, but they're still, you know, on the younger end of the scale. Is that going to be like a load of kids on a school outing turning <laughs> up and running riots? But... Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's the trouble. It's tricky, but I think they'll make the Fantastic Four work. I have got faith that the Fantastic Four will be decent. Um, really, the thing for me is going to be, I really hope they bring in Doom and they do Doom well. Because Doom can be a really good villain for a lot of different people. Like, Doom's always good when Doom clashes with Spider-Man. He's got great utility. And that's just one extra thing that I had a problem with about this, was that they make Doom's disfiguration clear. Whereas in the comics, there is always that thing about, you don't know, does he look hideous under the mask, or has he just got one tiny scar that he's so vain about that he covers his face? Yeah, like, Doom always being in sort of shadow if he's not got his mask on is very cool. I mean, I think the person who was best done expansions of the Doom mythos was the rapper MF Doom, who did a load of amazing stuff um, <laughs> about using a, you know, a variant of the Doom persona. Yeah, I don't know. I think they can get it right. Please give us Latveria. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> so all I want is Latveria. And if we find out how the Fantastic Four got their powers, they got them in space. Those are the two requirements. Should be easy to do. It's not that hard. Come on. But there's only one thing left me to ask now. Well, I'm not even going to go for the obvious one. I'm not going to say Michael B. Jordan, but Tim Blake Nelson, who was Dr. Harvey Allen in Fantastic Four, or as you just said, Mr. Generic Name Scientist, was also Samuel Stern slash will be the leader in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So out of the two of them, who was best? <laughs> Come on. Clearly the leader. <laughs> Alan, a character with literally no character other than, hello, I am your academic supervisor. What a waste of a good actor. Jesus Christ. Tim, you've asked me so many good questions in your time. That is genuinely the worst question you've ever asked me. You try finding somebody else that was in this and the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe film. No, that was good. That is good. At least it gives me an excuse to say I'm looking forward to being evil T-Fal when he returns, which is how I always... I'm going to have to explain T-Fal now, aren't I? That's a lost cultural reference. No, these be T-Fal adverts in the there 80s with scientists with giant forehead. Oh, the, the, the people don't even know who the leader is, do they? I'm backing myself into a corner here. I know who the leader is. <laughs> I know but, you yeah. know who the leader yeah. is, but Gary Bainbridge does as well, and they'll be listening to this. But yeah, some people listening might not know. <laughs> anyway. Well, that's who you make this podcast for, me <laughs> and Gary Bainbridge. <laughs> it's a select audience. Hello, Gary. Mick, thank you, and Excelsior. Excelsior. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.